0: Comment and share. All right, welcome back, everyone. It's CJ. And very excited to be uh, joining Harley Slanger today. Uh, v has an uh, important work thing that he couldn't miss, so he, he's asked me to to fly solo with with Harley. I told him I'd be on my best behavior with Harley, so he said, "Okay, fine, we can we can do the show." I want to thank you all for tuning in. If you have not done so yet, do me a favor, jump over two important sites to bookmark, uh, subscribe, put your email in, get the notifications. I I get them daily, so fully aware of. of uh, news, information that's coming out, not only with the LaRouche organization, uh, but also the Schiller Institute. We had several of our listeners that participated and listened to last week's conference that the Schiller Institute hosted. Very thankful for that. So, Harley, great day. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing fine. The Things are shifting quickly, both toward the bad and toward the good.
0: Well, I mean, Harley, I think, yes, correct. And why, why don't we why don't we jump into that and, and break that down a little bit? Uh, I, th- I think everyone can kind of sense that change that that's that's happening. Uh, when you look at the current administration of the U.S., you see basically that the emperor has no clothes. The West is failing in every effort to basically influence the world for what their vision is of the future. And it's me- being met with a lot of resistance, Harley.
1: Well, you can start with the FLOP 26 conference, where the desire of the oligarchs running it was to get everyone to submit to their authority and surrender their sovereignty over their own economy. And it didn't happen. And there's a whole lot of spin coming out of the City of London and Wall Street and from the Biden administration and elsewhere to the effect that, well, it was a good discussion, things moved forward. That's not true at all. they intended to to end put an end to coal production. that failed. They failed to come up with an agreement to provide funds to poorer countries to essentially buy them to accept the loss of sovereignty. that didn't really work. But more importantly, you have India saying, oh yeah, we'll go along with this we'll we'll be carbon neutral by 2070, you know which, no one who was at that conference will be alive in 2070 to know if it happens. <laughs> Correct. And according to Greta Thunberg and the leading ideologues of the climate change nonsense, none of us will be alive in 2070. So mm-hmm. you know, right. it just shows the, the fraud there. Uh, but the other thing that, look, is really significant is there was a pullback from the brink, both in terms of China and also in terms of Russia and Belarus. The China situation, the the Biden, Xi talks, look these are inconclusive in terms of longer term agreements, except they did talk. They did agree to certain minimal commitment, namely more talks. The U.S. uh, agreed that we would reaffirm the one China policy, which was one of Xi Jinping's goals. And Biden got to spout his nonsense on human rights and the Chinese got to defend themselves. But more importantly, with the Taiwan Strait and the South China Sea heading for confrontation, they talked and they set up further discussion. And that's crucial because you have the, they're they're two of the, or they are the two largest economies in the world. So that was one development. But then even more interesting to me the attempt to blame Putin and Lukashenko of Belarus for the crisis on the Polish border fell flat. And it fell flat because of Merkel getting on the phone with Lukashenko to discuss what to do. Not once, but twice she called him. And mm. why is this important? Because the EU has put sanctions on him personally and his government. The European Union is saying he's to blame, we're not going to talk with him. And Putin said, how can you resolve this crisis without talking? So Merkel picked up the phone and called. And there's a de-escalation underway. And you know the, the, the deeper point on this is that blaming Belarus for the refugee crisis is absurd. Uh, the refugee crisis is caused by the endless wars, by the regime change policy, by the sanctions policy, by destroying the living standards in the homes and, and the cities of millions of people in the Middle East, including Afghanistan, Syria, Yemen, and so on, that, and, and North Africa. That's why there's a refugee crisis. So the fact that a 1,000 of them showed up in Belarus demanding to get into the European Union, you have almost 1,000 a, a day showing up in Greece, released from Turkey. So, you know, this, this was a, a non-issue. But the EU and NATO tried to build it up. And now it appears there's pulling back from the brink on that. Also, Putin and Macron had a very substantive discussion. And one of the things they talked about was Ukraine. And Putin got across across his point that the Normandy format and the Minsk agreement, which the Ukrainian government signed, they have not lived up to any of their part of that agreement. And as a result, the situation in eastern Ukraine continues to be very tense. But at least Putin was able to present that to Macron. Macron listened. Macron reasserted the importance of the the format, the uh, agreement in Normandy, and so on. Now, on the other side, you have Lloyd Austin greeting the defense minister from Ukraine, saying that we are committed to Ukraine coming into NATO, which is what Putin said is crossing a red line. Uh, you you also have war hawks chiming in on China, chiming in on uh, Belarus and Poland. So you can see these two avenues, one of which is the neoconservative, neoliberal avenue, which leads to war, and the other is a get-out-of-war-free card, You know, negotiate, reach some agreements, find some common cause, and build on it. And this is what our whole conference was about. How you break out of the narratives that are the, controlled by the warhawks through the media. So that's why I say there's some hope, even though look, it's going to take a lot of work to to change the situation overall.
0: Yeah, yes, and indeed, Harley, there there is a lot of work to do. Um, you know, it's it's been very interesting to observe and 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 see what has happened with you know the eu in regards to uh you know boris johnson actively stating hey look you know we're you know we're very concerned about russia and obviously those those policies in terms of building that relationship has has failed and they're just so eager to you know leverage nato like an attempt to leverage nato an attempt to escalate things but at the same time there's a, a common sense approach to try to de-escalate but it doesn't appear that that There's some some uh, war hawks, Harley, that that really want that to happen. They want to continue the aggression. They want to continue the NATO operations in the Black Sea uh, that unfortunately kind of undermine any effort for for peace, Harley.
1: But but here's the problem they face. The reality is that if the U.S. and NATO were pushed to a war over Ukraine, it's a losing proposition. The Russians have overwhelming force. They have all kinds of military hardware and equipment. It doesn't have to be on the Ukrainian border. They have hypersonic missiles that can get to the battlefield very quickly. Uh, the idea that, that we can challenge Russia and Ukraine to a war or in the Black Sea, uh, the idea that the having the British and the Australians join us in the South China Sea tips the balance is also insane. Uh, MacArthur understood the problems of uh, a land war in Asia, and the Chinese hold most of the cards. Now, the good news is neither China nor Russia really want war, despite what you hear from people like Stoltenberg of NATO or retired generals who are running around trying to stir things up so they can get money for the defense companies that they've joined after their retirement. Despite that rhetoric, China is perfectly content to wait in in terms of Taiwan. Wait and and show that the Chinese system uh, would be more of a fit for Taiwan than what they have. And the reality is that China is experiencing growth again. Their uh, trade surplus is growing. and, And that's not just because China is strong, but because the U.S. continues to be weak, not just on supply chains, but on production. You know why do we have to rely on supply chains? Because our manufacturing sector has been hollowed out. We're destroying our agricultural sector. We're going with a green policy which means we're not going to have access to the energy that we need if we were going to have a real recovery. And on top of that, the prices are going up because of speculation. You know when uh, a few days ago, uh, Lukashenko was said to the Europeans, the, the president of Belarus If you impose new sanctions, we may cut off oil flows and gas flows through Belarus. Well, the European Union imposed new sanctions. So Lukashenko and his national uh, gas company announced a three-day mission to repair the pipeline. So it was a sort of a, a warning that if you do this, we can punish you. Now, what happened? the spot market, the price for gas from Russia and Belarus went up 18% on Tuesday and 5% more on Wednesday. Wow! So who suffers from this brinksmanship? Did the sanctions against Belarus topple the Lukashenko regime? Of course not. But it means everyone in Europe who's dependent on oil and gas and electricity coming from Eastern Europe and Russia is going to be paying much more and in Germany, it means 14 to 18% jump in utility prices projected for November alone. And in the US, there's a projection of 30 to 40% increase over this winter in what people will have to pay to heat their homes. Why? Because we're shutting down our energy production in the United States. Why are we doing that? Because of the scientific fraud that we are causing climate change by using fossil fuels. So mm. we have to straighten the stuff out. And the fact that you have, again, the Biden-G meeting, apparently the good news is Biden stayed awake for three and a half hours. <laughs> that's, that's Maybe the they truth. gave him a Red Bull or something to, to drink before the session. Uh, but they actually had a, a decent talk. But the fact that Macron and Merkel stepped in as the two leading figures in Europe, And basically said, we're not going to play this British game of confrontation. So these are signs that there's recognition on some level that going to war is not a solution. I mean, we couldn't even win the war in Afghanistan. Now, yes, we didn't use nuclear weapons, uh, thankfully. But if we tried to use nuclear weapons against Russia, who would come out alive from that? Probably Mm. no one on the planet.
0: Correct, correct. So you have
1: to back down, and it's not backing down. It's speaking as creative human beings trying to find solutions to problems, which are only problems because of the power of the financial oligarchy in the transatlantic region. They've got to be bankrupted. Look, CJ, one of the most important things that, that Lyndon LaRouche pointed to back in 2008 is that... The bankers think they can call the shots because they believe that they're the most important instruments in the West, that the saving the banking system, the, the systemically important banks, is the most important thing for Western economic health. No, saving those banks is what's destroying the economic health of the West. They're overloaded with worthless paper. They keep making money by trading worthless assets. And the assets, they can keep on their books at face value because of the quantitative easing from the Federal Reserve that gives the central the, from the central banks money to the banks and investment houses to keep buying stocks of companies that can't make enough income to pay the interest on their debt. So the solution is bankruptcy reorganization. If a company isn't able to pay interest on its debt, the so-called zombie corporation, why should future generations of Americans pay to keep those worthless debts solvent on the books of the banks so the banks can keep trading their paper? It's insane to do that. It's the worst kind of Ponzi scheme. So, you know, I, I think the important thing coming out of all this discussion is we need to get back to a physical economy, a Bretton Woods system, a fixed exchange rate, a gold reserve system and shut down the the bankers and the investment houses that are too overloaded with debt to ever recover instead of bailing them out and the ones that are still potentially solvent give them credit if they're going to invest it in something that will be productive Mm. so there are ways out and this is what we used to do when we before we bought in entirely to the casino circus that's the world economy today
0: yep absolutely Harley, I think these are interesting times. Uh, I, I believe the opportunity has never been better when we see the rejection that's occurring uh, around the globe, whether it's the resistance to mandates, whether it is uh, U.S. media losing thousands and, and thousands upon yeah. viewers. You know, people really starting to question the narrative. You know, when they hear an administrative and with very little resistance or pushback, adamantly say that there is very little that the president can do to impact fuel prices. When they hear that spending more money is actually deflationary, that the build back better program will actually reduce inflation. People are starting to question these things, Harley, because it has no merits. There's, there's no credentials or any value to what they're saying, because people are, are feeling the impacts of what's truly happening to the real economy.
1: Well, the build back better won't work because it has nothing to do with the real economy. But not spending money, not generating credit, which is what the fiscal conservatives are saying we should do, won't solve anything either because we're not producing any value added for our economy. You have to have a credit system which provides ample credit for research and development, for new products, for new plant and equipment, for worker training and so on. If you don't have it, then you and try and survive with the current hollowed out economy, where are you going to get the goods that you need from China? So this is where you, you see the problem and the thinking. And the, the update that I did today, my, my daily video update, uh, it's up on the screen right now, how to break people from the commonly accepted lies, I took up this question of how we outflank the mainstream media what we have to do in terms of the economic policies that will bankrupt the people who control the media. And you start with debt moratorium and debt reorganization. That's the starting point. That's been known by everyone since biblical times. That's why you had the Jubilee year. You don't give a banker power over your life through interest and uh, debt collection. The whole purpose of credit should be to increase the overall productivity of the society, not to increase the income of predators. So, you know, this is what our founding fathers understood, that the way that you produce new wealth is science and technology and upgrading the workforce and improving the infrastructure. So Biden is, is partially right, as Trump was, when they say we need an upgraded infrastructure, But neither of them had a plan to do it because they relied on this idea of private-public partnership, uh, limited amounts of money, and Biden's pushing the whole thing into a green technology. At least Trump wasn't misguided on that. But if you want to rebuild the economy, you need a credit institution like a national bank, not a central bank or a private central bank, but a bank that generates credit to the physical economy through the private banking system. That's what Alexander Hamilton did. That's what Lincoln did. That's what the Reconstruction Finance Corporation did to get us out of the depression in the 30s. If you do that, you increase the productivity of the whole economy. Then you can handle the debt problems and handle the, the uh, supply chain problems and so on. If you don't do that, you just keep going into a sinkhole. Yeah, and that's the danger that we have. We're about to lose the United States because of the moral imbecility of the leaders of this country.
0: Absolutely. In Very both well parts. Very well said, uh, Harley. What else is is on your radar?
1: Well, the I think the a couple of things that we've sort of lost sight of because of the uh, uh, the most important things. I mean. The one thing is that the European Union itself uh, seems to be coming up on an expiration date. You have this continuing battle over Brexit. You know They still haven't resolved the fishing rights issue between France and, and the United Kingdom. You still have the Irish border question. Uh, now you have Poland where their Supreme Court basically ruled that the Polish law has to take precedence over European Union law. Now, the European Union completely freaked out and went ballistic over that. Now, what they're asserting is that for the EU to work, countries have to subordinate their policies to that of Brussels. Well, Polish Catholics don't like the idea of 57 genders being taught in the schools. Mm. And any more than people in the United States like that. Correct. So the Polish court basically said, this goes against our traditions and our religious values, and we're not going to allow it. And the European Union said, but that's sexism, that's racism, you can't do that. And the, the Polish government said, well, we're going to do it because we're not giving up our national heritage and traditions for the sake of unity with a, a bunch of scatterbrains in Brussels. Now, this is, is also reflected in the opposition to the economic policy from Brussels, which is uh, Christine Lagarde, the former head of the International Monetary Fund, who's now the head of the European Central Bank, keeps saying that we have to stick with quantitative easing because it's working. And bankers who are more sensible, particularly from Germany, are saying, what do you mean it's working? It's creating bigger debt and less ability to produce. It's not working. So the forces driving apart the European Union are gaining strength. And that would be a good thing. I mean, the European Union, for it to work, has to, first of all, be an organization that is there as a body of sovereign nation states, not as an institution to claim sovereignty over those nation states. And this was the difference between Charles de Gaulle, who said we need a a Europe of the fatherlands as opposed to the current generation of of nudniks who don't know anything, who are basically saying, no, surrender everything to Brussels. Let the technocrats run it. Mm -hmm. So Mm. this is going to continue to be a fight. Yes. The build back better idiocy, you know, they're they're trying to push it through. Uh, Fortunately, it's been scaled down significantly. Uh, this, This is where the American people have to speak out. It's not a question of a couple of congressmen uh, having to stand up. They need to get their butts kicked, all of them, to be told, we don't want any more of this quantitative easing. We don't want money pumping to swindlers. We want a physical economy. And that's what's going to make a difference in the United States.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Marley, thank you for a, a great discussion. Um, anything, any closing thoughts or anything that you want to um, share with our, our listeners? I, I'm not sure if you're still wanting some feedback in regards to the conference. I, I meant to put that out to our listeners to to do that. I know you guys are always actively looking at, um, you know, improving things and, and making things better. But if you want to share with your listeners listeners how they could, you know, directly email you, that'd be great.
1: Well, I mean, the one thing is that the number of listeners were, was down because of the YouTube cancellation of our right to stream from our site. But thanks to you at, at Rogue, we did get a, a fairly substantial number of people listening. Uh, I'm always very anxious to hear from people about what you're thinking about, what, what you think about the initiatives we're launching. Uh, I want people to, to go sign up for free for my daily updates. So if you want any of that information from me, you can send it to my personal email at harleysch at gmail.com. And I really welcome the feedback from the rogue audience because you're among the sharpest uh, group out there, and it, it really helps.
0: Yeah, well, we really appreciate the work that you do, Harley, uh, as well as uh, your work with the Schiller Institute and the LaRouche Pack, the LaRouche Organization. Uh, we're, we're truly blessed to have you join us on a weekly basis for a conversation. So thank you for that. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in, uh, again, make sure to do us a favor. Send hardly that if you want to get on the mailing list, also go bookmark the Schiller institute.com as well as the LaRouche organization. And we will be back after, um, well, we need to probably email each other and talk about next uh, Friday after Thanksgiving, Harley, in the USA. So
1: <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we'll survive the, the price <laughs> shocks of Thanksgiving.
0: Yes, hopefully. Okay, thank you so much, Harley, and enjoy your afternoon.
1: Okay, thank you, CJ.